I got to a point where I didn't want to live anymore, but I just didn't have the courage to kill myself. And I would get a gallon of vodka and I would sit in the room and drink. Wake up drunk, go to sleep drunk. Real life starts now. This is Real Life Radio Show with On Lay. I felt alone. I felt lost. I felt scared. Real stories. I was so desperate in living such a dark and callous life. Real people. I was thinking there was no purpose for my life. There's no reason for me to be here. Real problems. I told my dad, if you try to take these drugs, I'm going to kill you. One solution, God. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. And now your host, On Lay. Hi, this is Evangelist Onlay. Welcome to the Real Life Radio Show, where we're going to talk to real people who had real problems but found answers in a real God. We've been talking about second chances and whether or not God gives them to us. In our last show, Estevan Medina told us how he developed bitterness and anger in his heart towards his parents because of his own lifestyle as a gang member and drug use he felt was directly influenced by his parents. And all those choices landed him with a prison sentence. He was telling us about how right out of prison, he jumped right into a legal activity of selling drugs. And today he's going to talk about how the bitterness in his life led him down a path of alcoholism that eventually led to a moment of dying and coming back. Estevan, welcome back to the show. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing super good. Now, before we talk about how you died and came back, Let's talk about how things developed after you got out of a seven-year prison sentence and how you just jumped into selling drugs. What was your emotional state during this time? Yes, well, what happened was I was on parole, and I think I was out for like three months. And within that three months, my house got raided. They came and got me, and my wife was like, I can't do this no more. You either need to choose that life or you need to choose me, Uh your family. So I was like, okay, I'm going to leave that alone. Mind you, I've done most of my life in jails and in prisons and stuff like that. So I didn't know how to function in society. So I had to get a job and like I was working 40 hours a week and getting a paycheck and it was like nothing. You know what I mean? And it was a struggle for me Hmm. to be able to get used to that lifestyle. And it just like the things that were going on in my head was like, I'm never going to be able to make it. I'm working for this and my money's gone. So of course that brought on the depression and, you know, the anxiety, I think, and I had a job that I was working at that everybody was getting out of prison and getting that same job. So everybody was like addicted to something on that whole crew. Like, you know what I mean? One was doing coke, one was doing heroin, one was drinking. And because of the drug use that I seen in my own home as a child, I'd always told myself, I'm never going to get addicted to hard drugs. But that opened the door for the alcohol. I felt like the alcohol would suppress my pain or take it away. At first, I was doing it casually, and then it just progressed, and Hmm. it got to a point where, like, I started to just isolate myself from everybody, and I would get a gallon of vodka, and I would sit in the room and drink Hmm. by myself. I would wake up drunk, go to sleep drunk, and if I didn't have the liquor, I was always sick, shaking. It went through some low times in my life. I would go to my kids' room or to the laundry room and just see if I could find chains, quarters, anything, just so I could get something to go to the liquor store. Mm, Wow. Sounds like the alcohol was a coping mechanism for you to hide some of the hurt and pains of the past. How did you discover that the drinking issue was a huge problem that was developing? Well, right before that had happened, I was still with my wife and kids. And one day I was arguing with my wife and I went to turn around to pick up my son and he gave me this look. Mm -hmm. And I remembered that look. 
is one of the looks that I gave my father. And I knew I had to leave. So I left. And when I left, I didn't have nobody telling me, you know, you need to stop. You can't drink. You know what I mean? And I went harder. I was drinking harder. I I got to a point where I didn't want to live anymore. But I just didn't have the courage to kill myself. I remember one day I woke up. I didn't have no liquor. And my side was really hurting. And I had called my sister to see if she could take me to the hospital. And at first she was like, no, you know, you're faking it. Or, you know what I mean? I guess I burned all the bridges with all my family. So she thought it was just another way for me to get her to get me liquor. She ended up coming for me. She took me to the hospital. But I was so sick, too, from the withdrawals that she had to buy me a bottle before I got to the hospital. When I got to the hospital, the doctors did, like, a breathalyzer on me, and I blew a .67. And I guess I had got pneumonia and all kinds of stuff had happened to me, so they put me in ICU there, and they told me, like, if you don't stop drinking, then you're going to die. So my sister had called my wife and asked her to come down, you know, because it was real serious and to bring the kids. And my wife, I think I hurt her so much. I dragged her through the mud and, you know, just made her deal with so much that she shouldn't have to. And she came down and the way she tells it, she was going to tell me off. But when she seen me, she had compassion. Mm-hmm. And she was like, are you done? <laughs> if you are, then you could come home. So I was in the hospital there for about a week. And then I came back home and I was sleeping a lot. And one night I had woke up and my eyes were yellow, yellow. And my wife was like, something's wrong with you. You need to go to the hospital. And I was like, no, it's induced hepatitis from drinking. And I told her, no, it's just that. I'm probably doing this. So, you know, I just let me sleep it off. And she ended up convincing me to go to the hospital. And when we did, as soon as the nurse seen me, she was like, oh, my gosh, you're in liver failure. So they put me in the hospital room, and then we started running tests. And the doctors came, and they asked my wife to come outside because the kids were in there. They asked her, like, is this your husband? And she said yes. And they told her, well, um, you need to prepare yourself because he's not going to leave this hospital alive. Wow, that is serious liver disease. How did you feel when this bad news was brought to you about your current situation? I was scared. Um, I remember my wife, you know, just seeing her breaking down, and then I was trying to be strong, but I couldn't. And in the beginning, the first day, it didn't seem, you know, because I had all my family there. And that, that night, it left, and I was by myself, and I was just kind of looking back at my life and be like, where did it go? I have nothing to show for 28 years of my life. Mm. I was just thinking about, you know, everything. And my mother would always pray for us, right? And I would go to the house when I was drunk, and she would, like, try to come talk to me, so I would act like I was sleeping. Yeah. And she would pray in tongues over me, and I would, like, get freaked out. <laughs> and I was like, this lady's weird. <laughs> mm. Just a quick question. Did you believe in God at this time when your mom was doing these spiritual things in her life? I mean, I think I've always believed. I just didn't know him. Oh, man. Estevan, I want to invite you back on our next show because I want to hear how you had an experience when your liver disease eventually led to a near-death experience. I'm really looking forward to having you on our next show. Thank you. Wow. Don't go anywhere. I want to share some things with you right after the break. Hey guys, it's me again. Let me be real and upfront with you. People are calling in and getting saved and set free by the power of the gospel that is preached on this show through powerful testimonies. I remember one night I was working the phones and a man in about his 30s called in. He was a business owner who was addicted to cocaine and he was living in California. 
He said he was driving and he heard our show about a former drug addict and he felt convicted that he wasn't living his life right and he gave his life to Jesus that very night. To me, this is a powerful reminder that God is moving through this real and raw show to touch the lives of others. Will you help us reach other cities all across America? You may be able to donate maybe $5 a month, maybe 10, some of you 25, maybe more. Anything helps. Help us to spread the gospel to America as we are believing for a great harvest of souls for the kingdom of God in this time and in this era. We can't do it without you. Don't just sit there. Go to awakeningthenations.com and join the movement to get these testimonies to help others. More real life starts now. Welcome back to the show where we're going to go deeper into what you just heard. So what do you think about this? To me, it is so sad that, I mean, come on, he was a criminal in society, right? He was kind of like a predator actively hurting people, caused chaos in society. But then you can also see this kind of tender side where deep inside his emotions and his heart was in a complete wreck. Now, how many of us can be like that? We grow up with the bitterness of life and say, this is how it's supposed to be. This is how it is. This is life. I just got to deal with it. You know, and that's how Esteban was. And in his sorrow, in his pain, in his suffering, what did he turn to? He turned to alcohol to numb himself. Now, you know, people drink, but this is something different. This is where he's using it literally to cope and to get through real inner pain. And this is a known thing. Even in ancient writings, there's a line and a path that so many have taken for thousands of years. There's a lot to learn what ancient scriptures say about alcoholism. It's not a new thing today. It is written in Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. And it's a long scripture, but there's a lot of insight. It is written, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent. It stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Or like one who lies at the top of a mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They've beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Now, it's written to stay away from alcohol in a sense. It's a warning to not get into alcoholism. And so many people have become alcoholics. Because why? A lot of people I interview is because of the pain they experience in their lives, either by what was done to them or what they did to themselves, or what they did to others. There can be things like sorrow, depression, sadness, remorse. These feelings can be too much to bear for the human soul. We weren't created to feel this way. We were not created to be broken down inside, that we just drink ourselves to the point of where we just lay down in the sea. I mean, what the scripture says, is like where we just drown and don't care. Or where we'd be to the point where People beat us up and we don't feel it. It's because that's what alcohol does. It makes us not be able to feel if you're drunk. You can't feel. Now, I want to share with you something that God has provided a way out of this type of situation. And it's by breaking the generational curses that we talked about in our last show. There's something very significant that took place when Jesus died on the cross. Listen in on this. 
Because Jesus did this, there's a huge benefit to you that can change your future and your destiny if you receive the gift that Jesus did at the cross. It is written in Galatians 3, 13 through 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Do you realize that the power that Esteban was discovering, that not only was God real, but that God took his generational curse away from him, and that God can do that for you, my friend. I don't know what you're going through, but the Lord does. And I want to pray for you. If you're dealing with some type of generational curse, it could be alcoholism, but it could be something else. I want to pray for you. Father God, we lift up these things to you. And Jesus, you died on the cross. You became the curse for us because you loved us. You died on the cross so that we could be free. Lord Jesus, there's someone right now listening and they're saying in their heart, I want freedom, God. I want it. So Jesus, we receive that gift. We receive you. We believe in you. We want to follow you all the days of our life. In Jesus' mighty name. I hope you were blessed by this testimony. And I know that your life was touched. If you have a testimony to share or know someone who does and would like to share it on our show, go to AwakeningTheNations.com and click Guest Audition on the top menu. See you next time.